Hello and welcome to the brand newly named CIA Files Weekly World Reports. I am your host, Topher M. Ford. Got my co-host here, Mr. Brandon Givens. Brandon, <laughs> tell them about yourself. Oh, well, we had I uh, went to a soccer match my daughter was playing in and some of the kids had set up their own lemonade stands and they baked cookies to sell to people and picked mulberries from the trees on campus and washed them and put them in little cups to sell. It was, it was really cute. And it's like, ah, oh, when they, mm -hmm. go ahead. Yeah. So when they have their own company one day, they'll say, when I was a kid, I went out and I made money. Uh, one of the kids, um, uh, a little girl and her brother kept trying to, to get a cookie for a discount or for, well, first for free and then a discount. And it's like, I will, even if we don't sell all these cookies, I will throw them in the trash before I give you one for free. I'm like, ah, this little girl knows capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> you give this cookie away for free, you know, then nobody's going to want to buy cookies. So, yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> capitalism isn't a thought disease at all. It's. <laughs> I, I took a really sweet story and turned it dark. I'm very proud of myself. Well, that's. I don't know if you did that or if capitalism did that because I think that that's a. <laughs> you didn't make the news. You just reported it. Well, maybe I mean you know like the uh, this international school. The girl didn't happen to be French, but the French has um, these laws about waste food. Like the grocery stores can't throw throw it away or force it to rot once it reaches like an expiration day it has to be donated and so it really hasn't cut into their profits from what i gather so you know maybe the little yeah. she was french you could say okay well now i'm going to go to the street find a homeless guy and give these cookies too but i'm not going to give them to my lazy brother <laughs> i was like I, okay there we go i can get behind that bandwagon i remember my first lesson in the ugly side of capitalism and i used to work at a grocery store that i won't say just in case they're litigious i don't know um i was a lowly clerk at the age of like 16 and my the assistant manager of the store had a basket full of expired and we say expired with quotation marks because you know it's not actually expired uh, but he had a basket full of expired bread and he said, come with me, help me to throw this out. So I went out, we went to the dumpster and he would take the bread and rip the bags open before throwing it in the dumpster. And I was like, why are you doing that? And he said, well, that's so homeless people can't eat it because his line was that a homeless person might eat the bread and if it's uh if they get sick from eating the expired bread then they might be able to sue the store right right like, yeah that's the story I was, like, I was like oh that's that doesn't seem right to me but i'm only 16 uh so i'm not going to say anything you know uh, it's some companies that america do panera donates their old bread from what i understand um yeah 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 anyway um oh and by the way uh you may have noticed i I said this at the very tippy top we are uh we're working on changing the name because raw file news i i came up with that name just based on you know the raw sound files that i had to use to edit with but then the more and more i thought about it the more i was like that sounds gross because every term has been uh pornified and raw is definitely one of those uh so i i don't know i was worried that it sounds gross so we're gonna try out uh right now we're we like weekly world report uh well but maybe somebody else already has that name we don't know we're just kind of you know oh, put the cia here. files colon weekly world report that's right it's a remix and yeah Anyway, let's uh let's talk about the news. We have some news stories to cover. All right. Uh we're going to start off today uh talking about Tigray. 
Tigray's last functioning hospital, Adair Referral Hospital, was forced to suspend operations over the weekend due to a number of problems, including power outages and a shortage of medical supplies. The hospital's technical director, Dr. Kebram Gabresalesi, I hope I'm saying that right, told BBC, quote, we have run out of medicines, there is no anesthesia, no oxygen supply, one year has passed since the oxygen, the hospital's oxygen supply was disrupted. The Tigray region has suffered from severe shortages of food, fuel, and medical supplies as the Ethiopian government has made a de facto blockade on the region since fighting broke out last year. Patient deaths, including infants, have skyrocketed in recent months. Hospital officials say this is due to the ongoing shortages, which have also forced them to turn away people in need of medical care. So that is not getting any better, it seems. I don't really know that there's any more to say about that. <laughs> That's, yeah. Okay. A bit of good news in Yemen, as the Houthi rebels and the Saudi-led coalition have agreed to extend their ongoing ceasefire for another two months. The two groups are expected to return to Jordan's capital soon to continue peace talks. So that's good. Yeah. yeah a silver lining there. And yeah, I think Jordan might be fair neutral ground. So hope for the best on that. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, all right, I'll uh, bounce now over to Iran. Iran now has enough enriched uranium to build a nuclear weapon, according to the United Nations International Atomic Energy Agency. From NBC News, quote, Iran has now accumulated enough enriched uranium to be able to quickly produce more than a significant quantity of HEU, which is highly enriched uranium, for one bomb, said Daryl Kimball of the Arms Control Association think tank. He says, the time it would take them to do that can now be measured in days, not months or weeks. Iran has ramped up its nuclear efforts ever since President Trump withdrew the United States from its 2015 deal with Iran to lift sanctions in, record, in return for halting their nuclear development. So maybe that wasn't the best idea. <laughs> it uh, might not have been, no. no. Uh, um, I imagine Israel will probably give them a surprise if this is, if this is true and they actually start working on I mean, just having enough enriched uranium and using it to make a weapon are, are two different things. However, if they're making it, then that's kind of the process. It's kind of like making gunpowder and making a bullet are two different things. It's like, well, yeah. yes and no. <laughs> but um, if they actually start trying to put that gunpowder in a, in a brass casing with some lead, metaphorically speaking, of course, then Israel might do something to make sure that, that that process doesn't complete. Yeah, Israel does have a reputation for shooting first and then daring anyone to ask some questions. And uh, now in Afghanistan, the Taliban has begun a campaign to wipe out Afghanistan's widespread poppy farms. The group announced in April that opium production was now prohibited in the country, which has been one of the world's biggest suppliers of heroin up to this point. A number of Afghan farmers depend on poppy production to afford basic staples, so this move is likely to prove harmful to people already living in poverty due to the country's failing economy. Many farmers say poppies are the only crop viable in their region due to soil and climate conditions. So this is kind of a mixed bag. I mean, obviously, you know, like shutting down heroin production is good, <laughs> you know, uh, Heroin is the, the price of heroin will go up and people will move to fentanyl. Is it good? Uh, it's just like that's a, I mean, is it? It's like I don't know. Name. That's what I was saying before in our chat. I was like, I don't know how to approach this because you know, well, the, at least on the face of it, I'm like, no, less heroin. That's that's good. Uh, <laughs> well, the, but then these farmers ago. are gonna, you know, these farmers that have 
depend on poppies are going to start to have, you know, they're already having trouble feeding the, their families. Um, and yeah, like you say, a lack of heroin could move people because people aren't suddenly going to stop being addicted to heroin just because it's less available. Um, and fentanyl is a huge problem. And from what I understand, I'm, I don't know for sure, but from what I understand, it there's not a shortage of that. <laughs> I think it's a lot in many ways. It's more technical pr to produce, but a lot easier. And uh, uh, well, you know, was that the price of beef goes up, then you eat chicken. <laughs> the price of pop of heroin goes up. Well, fentanyl, but uh, cocaine. Well, of course, co correlation is not equal causality. But as cocaine imports to the U.S. went down, methamphetamine use went up, and like well was it because cocaine got more expensive or was less available or that methamphetamine was cheaper um are they really that similar a drug but i don't know i mean they're they're it, it's kind of you know but what are you going to do you can't just say no come on afghanistan don't stop the poppy growers or okay everybody right. now now just buy poppies instead of roses. And a lot of countries have limitations for that very reason on people growing poppies for um, decorative purposes. Um, yeah. And the United States has been trying to push Afghanistan to stop growing poppies for a long time now. So I'm wondering if this move by the Taliban isn't, you know, like an effort to, um, like you, we mentioned before, get that international aid money coming back in. Um, yeah, I imagine it's it's a bit of that. And if you're uh, if you're sweet at heart, you you might believe that they actually care about their religion, and though they were right, and they did cite they did cite Sharia law as a you know the reason behind it. Yeah, it's like so. We're we're growing it to make money to fight the Americans or the invaders. But now that the invaders are gone, then we must stop. And I right, mean, I wonder. I wonder how many of the farmers are like, "Hey, you came <laughs> here last year to pick up the shipments from me. You paid me for this last year. Now you're like tilling it under." Yep. <laughs> so. Anyway, that's a that's a tough one. That's a a complicated issue uh that I personally am not qualified to I guess make like a uh a, take a stance on but well, as an as an off, office working um wasp from the American South um with like no personal agricultural experience, you don't know what the Afghan farmers do to to get by. I say drugs are bad. <laughs> and they should burn in hell. They should they should just they should just grow corn on the cob, then it'll be okay. Um, Why don't you grow soybeans like my cousin? Yeah. Works for him. Yeah, I, I don't know what they could replace it with. Uh, I mean obviously they're 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 growing it because whatever else they can grow isn't as profitable for them and I don't think they're making that much money even on the poppy. I don't think these far these Afghan poppy farmers are, you know, living in a in a very big house driving nice cars. I think these guys are just barely getting by as it is. Yeah, so I guess time will tell with that one. Um we'll just have to wait and see how it, you know, plays out and hopefully, you know, if if international aid starts to come back into the country, you know, maybe some of that money will go toward helping the farmers and the other people. Because, you know, from what I understand, the economy in general is not doing well in Afghanistan, which shouldn't be that surprising, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, moving on to uh, your current place of residence, uh, Brandon, Kazakhstan. Uh, Kazakhstan is uh, holding a referendum to make some major constitutional changes. Um, what can you tell us about that? Uh, yeah, it was in reply to the kind of the uprising that happened in January. And so the president's like, okay, let's uh, amend the constitution. Here are some suggestions. And 
I think technically the government was called super presidential, and so some of the amendments will give the um, Congress more power. And, but, and it does things, too, that kind of removes Nazarbayev, who he has this, like, title. It's like founder of the nation, so it strips him of that title and removes a lot of that old influence. And so the question is, is it truly a step toward like true um, liberal democracy or is it just getting rid of Nazarbayev's control so the new guy can solidify his? And, um, you know, that that question is yet to be answered. It doesn't appear to be a big like. I mean, I barely noticed it. And uh, then we we did see some signs for it when we were going out, uh, like oh referendum, they're having it on Sunday, and the embassy, the U.S. embassy, sent a warning out to say, well, you know, they're having an election, so just be keep aware. Keep an eye out. Head, yeah. keep your head on a swivel. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's been pretty quiet. Um, other things they're doing is they have proportional representation, so they're going to move to mixed member proportional, which means some of the seats will be like single member districts and some will be part, you know, like proportional party base. And I guess that's to, you know, kind of uh, each, each of those systems, single district and proportional representation has its own benefits. So if you mix them together, you get the benefits of both. We also get the detriments of both, but um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, right, I'm not. I'm not going to be. I, I'm kind of cynical. Uh, well, I was like, wait and see. At the same time, you know, like when you say, "Oh, well, you know, it, it may just be him uh, trying to find a way to keep power and have a PR campaign, just get rid of Nazarbayev," because it doesn't really reduce the presidential power that much. It's like, well, historically speaking, you get a lot of political violence when illiberal regimes, which is kind of what this one is, where it's like it's a democracy, but it's not institutionalized. And there are some questions about how democratic it really is. When these regimes start loosening up, then um, you get people, they don't like the change, the people that were benefiting off the old system, they don't like it. And then if like voting and accepting a vote is not institutionalized, you get violence from that too, because it's just not in the traditions. So it might be an effort to slide on into that because, you know, you open it up completely like, okay, we're actually going to have a real democracy tomorrow. And they'll truly be, you know, <laughs> you know it's, it's like, well, historically that does end in, in violence, um, protest and such. So maybe, maybe he's, he's, he's doing it that way. And right. also the other group where you start getting violence is when you actually have a true liberal regime that is starting to become illiberal, that's moving toward rigging elections and, you know, then you get violence that way too. So, yeah. And I'm looking at, uh, this Al Jazeera article, uh, Kazakhstan holds referendum to amend constitution. Um, just so they have a quote, where did it go? Uh, from Joanna Lillis, a journalist and the author of dark shadows inside the <laughs> secret world of Kazakhstan. She was, she told Al Jazeera, she said, quote, the president will retain the right to appoint the prime minister to appoint key ministers in the cabinet to veto laws and all the other powers that the president has enjoyed for all these years. It, uh, the article says, if approved, the amendments would strip Nazarbayev of his privileges as founding father, but not limit Tokiev's authority. Uh, the article also says, despite the criticism of the amendments and their scope, there has been no visible no campaign, and the referendum, the second in the country's history, is likely to pass. So another, you know, uh, you mentioned, I remember you saying uh, on an episode a little while back, because they were making some other changes that seemed to be moving away from any authoritarian aspects of the government. And I feel like you said something about Tokiev trying to maybe distance himself from that after those 
you know, the massive protests. Do you think that's... I'm trying to remember. Um, well, I mean, he was distancing himself from Nazarbayev and um, that crew, the old political party, um, which he was kind of Nazarbayev's successor. Um, right. Cause was, he, was he sort of picked as uh, the successor? Yeah, yeah, like they were in the same political party, and, um, you know, it was like Nazarbayev said, like, well, I'm retiring, but uh, I'm going to be the head of, I think it's the Security Council. I can't remember what they called it. And so, and Tokayev was, I mean, ran and was elected, but it was like, well, it was, you know, this was the guy that Nazarbayev picked. And I guess they thought it was going to be too audacious to literally pick Nazarbayev's son or something. But his, you know, Nazarbayev's family has a lot of key positions. And um, Tokayev, you know, handpicked successor, started like bucking up and kind of doing his own thing. And you had this January mysterious, like, foreign fighters came from out of nowhere and black masked and attacked things. And then a whole lot of Nazarbayev's family and allies got arrested, and the soldiers, um, many of those soldiers got caught and arrested, or, you know, or fighters, whatever they were, and then everything got calm. And they've declared that Nazarbayev and Tokayev get along just fine. <laughs> and and <laughs> Tokayev is, um, came out and said, all right, well, let's have, to, let's have an amendment now. I'm in the Constitution to make it more democratic. But like I said, you know, it, it seems to be mostly cosmetic, but I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing. I mean, I'm, I'm a, of course, you could yell at me and say that I'm uh, being a mouthpiece or an apologist for um, illiberal, illiberal government or dictatorship or authoritarianism. I'm like, oh, no, not exactly. I just understand that the world is a complex place and things aren't as easy as just saying okay well tomorrow we're gonna have free completely free speech everywhere and free and open elections it's like you know sometimes it takes a, a minute to institutionalize things right but, but i mean said that's that's based on the assumption that that is what they're trying to do like actually go in that direction they may not be they're just maybe trying to keep their own power but I mean, that's essentially what an illiberal regime is, is one that pretends to be a democracy, but really isn't. Yeah. Right. <sighs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, for a little change of pace, let's get into Ukraine. Uh, according to President Volodymyr Zelensky, Russian forces have relocated over 200,000 Ukrainian children to Russia so far. In an address on Wednesday, June 1st, he said that Russia, quote, forcibly removes both adults and children. This is one of Russia's most heinous war crimes. In total, more than 200,000 Ukrainian children have been deported so far. These are orphans from orphanages and children with parents and children divorced from their families. He says, quote, the Russian state disperses these people on its territory and settles our citizens, in particular in remote regions. The purpose of this criminal policy is not just to steal people, to but, but to make deportees forget about Ukraine and not be able to return. So that is, you know, that, that plays into this notion that Russia is uh, committing genocide and trying to eliminate Ukrainian culture. Yeah, and that's a pretty strong case for it. <laughs> I mean, that's textbook. Take the right. kids, uh, adopt them out. And yep, that's I mean yeah, history right there. I mean, yeah, because I, you I know, I don't think I need to had to go into too much more detail on that. Right. Well, you know, we when people say genocide, at least for me, up until recently, I've been learning some more about it as we study Ukraine and as I listen to other people talk about it. Um, you know, when you hear genocide, I think for most people, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, death lots of people being killed which is you know it's there for sure but it's not just people being uh people dying people being massacred it has to do with 
not just killing people, but eliminating their culture. Like, right. Well, well that's why I like to add the pre, uh, like saying cultural genocide for that reason to add a little context because one of the things people love to do to derail a conversation is argue over the exactness of a word. Right. And it's really frustrating. Like, oh. <laughs> right. Although those 30,000 people that were massacred, that wasn't technically a genocide. You're like, <laughs> right. Right. And I understand, uh, you know, there is an argument to be made for not just tossing around the word genocide, uh, you know, for every little thing. Well, I say little thing, but you know what I mean? Like, there is an argument to be made to, like, keep a specific definition of genocide in play. But at the yeah, same time, yeah. like you're saying, a lot of times people use that as a bad faith argument. They don't actually care about the specific definition of genocide. They just want to derail an argument. They want to downplay whatever atrocities have been happening. So, but yeah, I mean, that definitely seems like from what we're getting, uh, that that's Putin's intention is to eradicate the notion of Ukraine as a country and a culture. Um, Meanwhile, Zelensky says Ukraine is losing up to 100 soldiers a day with another 500 soldiers a day being wounded. So that's not good for them. Uh, oh, they can replace them with all those um, people they kidnap. No, that's Ukraine, not uh, Russia. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ukraine <laughs> losing, yeah. Right. I mean, if that was Russia's thing, then yeah. I mean, 100 soldiers a day is, you know, nothing to Russia historically speaking um speaking of there uh russia continues to make slow but steady gains in the east russian forces have almost taken complete control of the city of severodonetsk and are closing in on lysychansk the, uh, those are the last holdouts in the ukrainian held regions in the luhansk oh they've been pushed almost out of severodonetsk in like the last day or 12 hours, the Ukrainians did a counterattack. They haven't taken it all back, but they've taken back at least 50%. Is that... Okay. Uh, from what I've been reading, Russia still has, like, still holds most of that city. That It has... There's been some back and forth, um, but Russia's been, like... Uh, slowly but steadily taken over the area and i guess the point i'm making is it's highly contested right it's yeah and that's what i keep seeing um in the headlines is that ukraine hasn't given up there at all um and the prediction is that russia will take Severodonetsk and Lyman, uh, you know, soon. But, you know, that Russia had almost all of the city. Ukrainian forces managed to push them back for a little while. Um, but since then, Russia has, you know, made more gains in the region. Uh, so that, you know, that could, that's probably playing out as we're recording this. So, you know, it's hard <laughs> yeah. to know. And actually, speaking of as we're recording this, as I was reading Al Jazeera, I noticed uh, some breaking updates that uh, Russia has begun uh, uh, hitting Kiev with cruise missiles again. Uh, so that's today. We're recording this on Sunday, June 5th. Uh, here's from Reuters, quote, Russia hit Kiev with cruise missiles fired from the Caspian Sea on Sunday, striking a rail car f repair facility in the Ukrainian capital in the first such attack for weeks, Ukraine's army and railway chief said. So Kiev has, you know, been relatively calm, I think, for a little while as Russia focuses more on the eastern region. Uh, but it looks like they are, uh, you know, 
things are heating up there in the capital again. Um, which can't, can't. Yeah, as it's trying to make them all, I mean, it's a psychological warfare. And to break people down, let them know that, oh, don't you forget that war is not at the border. It's at your front door anytime. Right. This is from Al Jazeera from the breaking news story about Kiev. Russia, uh, quote, Russia's defense ministry says Russian strikes destroyed tanks and other armored vehicles on the outskirts of Kiev that had been provided to Ukraine by European countries. That was, uh, it looks like um, President Putin is saying that if uh, the United States starts supplying with Ukraine with longer range missiles, then uh, Russia is going to start attacking new targets in Ukraine. Of course, this comes after news that Russia is, or I'm sorry, that Ukraine is uh, getting longer, like 50-mile range missiles from the U.S. So, right, right. Well, and, and of course, uh, Russia is saying both they're upset about it and they're not upset about it because Ukraine already had missiles with that same range. Like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yes. But I mean, that that's you know typical. Kremlin uh, mouthpiece to say both things at the same time and carry forward and people will believe both at the same time that want to. Yes. Um, here's a quote from PBS.org that has to do with uh, Severo Donetsk and um, oh wait, I'm sorry, this is actually uh, this is uh, Russia also continues its push into the Donbass region focusing in on the city of Bakhmut in Donetsk. This is from PBS.org, quote, The combined use of air and artillery strikes has been a key factor in Russia's recent tactical success in the region, the UK Ministry of Defense said in a Saturday assessment. The British ministry warned that after launching so many guided missiles, Russia was employing unguided missiles that have, quote, almost certainly caused substantial collateral damage and civilian casualties. So, I mean, and that's nothing new so far in this conflict. This is, on, this is uh, the 101st day of the conflict, I believe, now. So <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh, I had hundreds today, and now it's 101st day. Yeah. And then uh, in a little bit, well, I started to say uh, lighter news. It's still not light news but you know relatively speaking uh the winners of this year's eurovision song contest a group from ukraine called kalush orchestra announced that they would be selling their trophy for nine hundred thousand dollars with the funds going toward the purchase of military drones for their home country this is from cnn quote the winning bid for the uh -huh. trophy was attributed to whitebit a cryptocurrency exchange Whitebit said that the purpose of the online auction was to raise 1 million euros to buy three PD-2 drones for the Ukrainian armed forces. So, oh. you know, like I said, that's a little bit slightly yeah. lighthearted compared to the rest. That's up there. The Lithuania, Lithuania <laughs> crowdsourcing right. a drone and like, oh, man. And then <laughs> um, moving into Russia itself, uh, this is something that we haven't talked about yet and i've kind of avoided talking about it because it's difficult to suss out if there's any validity to it or not um but newsweek reports that u.s intelligence officials claim that president vladimir putin underwent cancer treatment in april the intelligence report also says an attempt was made to kill the russian president However, the unnamed officials who spoke to Newsweek also say the intelligence reports could be wrong. From Newsweek, quote, We need to be mindful of the influence of wishful thinking, cautions the retired Air Force leader. We learned, or didn't learn, that lesson the hard way with Osama bin Laden and Saddam Hussein. And then uh, an article from The Guardian points out that Russia's Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov denied these claims in an interview with French television saying, quote, President Vladimir Putin appears in public every day. You can watch him on screens, read and listen to his performances. I don't think that sane people can see signs of some kind of illness or poor health. Uh, and it is worth noting that many of the claims that we've seen in the news of Putin's poor health have come from Ukrainian intelligence officials. So, like I said, 
there's been tons of wild rumors spreading around the internet that Putin has Parkinson's disease, that he has uh, some rare form of uh, very, uh, what's the word, very uh, strong, strong cancer, bad, you know. I think it was abdominal. I think that was the rumor. It was abdominal cancer. Abominable I cancer? Well, I think it was yeah, well, that too. It was an I call all cancer, cancer abominable. Yeah. I'm going to be brave and make that stance now. Um, but yeah, it's we see it floating around, but that's like, it sounds like classic wartime propaganda. Oh, they're, the opposition's leader is sick and dying. Um, maybe it's true. You know, Putin is, he's an old man now. Um, but yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, some of the people in the Newsweek article, the that you know, these unnamed sources that were from the Air Force and from the Defense Intelligence Agency, pointed out that since the war started, Putin has been pretty kept himself pretty isolated from people on the outside. You know, he has greatly limited his contact with anyone who isn't in his inner circle. So. It's hard to say, you know. You'd think he thinks somebody wants to yeah. kill him. Well, according to the CIA, someone did try to kill him. There weren't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of information on that, but that was a part of the claim. All right, let's. Uh, we're going to make a a rare, rare for us trip to Canada. Now, uh, Canadian officials say their aircraft patrolling international waters are being buzzed by Chinese warplanes. They say the Chinese warplanes have gotten as close as 20 feet to their own planes, close enough that the pilots can make eye contact, sometimes forcing Canadian pilots to change course to avoid collision. The Canadian, Of course it'll be the Canadians that move out of the way. And then say sorry. <laughs> right. Oh, sorry, sorry. I couldn't find uh, the original story where I saw this, but one news outlet said that Canadian pilots claimed that Chinese pilots were flipping them off flipping the middle finger at him. Aww. So uh, I, that wasn't in the CNN article that we're citing now, but the Canadian flights uh, come out of Okinawa, Japan, as part of Operation Neon, which works to enforce trade embargoes against North Korea. So these Canadian uh, planes are, you know, watching to make sure that, uh, you know, I guess like barges and whatnot are not getting to North Korea. Um and Chinese planes are, you know, giving them the top gun treatment. Some, you know, maybe the Chinese <laughs> yeah. pilots got to see the new top gun and it, you know, got them riled up the way people would get riled up after watching Rocky. Right. <laughs> oh, oh, and especially when they saw that Taiwan patch on Tom Cruise. That probably really upset I haven't them. seen the new top gun. And I, to be honest, I probably won't watch it. Not as part of any sort of philosophical or ethical thing, just because I don't, I don't care. I mean, I, I've not seen it either, but I did see uh, a little news article like his um, his jacket and the original had the Taiwan flag on it, but it made Chinese people upset, so they replaced it with some other flag. But in the new version, they put the Taiwan flag back. Oh, so a little little subtle message. Bold move there. Uh, we actually have yeah. some more related news to Taiwan and U.S. relations coming up soon. Um, speaking of, uh, we're coming back home to the United States. CIA analyst and whistleblower David C. McMichael died on May 16th at the age of 93. McMichael is best known for uncovering Reagan's plans to overthrow the Nicaraguan government in 1983. President Jimmy Carter uh, had been providing aid to the leftist Sandinista government, uh, but then he suspended aid when it was discovered that they that they were sending aid and weapons to rebels in Ecuador. Uh, when Ronald Reagan took office, he began funding the Contras who opposed the Sandinista government. Uh, Reagan insisted that the Sandinistas were still providing aid to the rebels a claim that McMichael said he discovered to be untrue. So David C. McMichael was a CIA analyst. He starts hearing Ronald Reagan make these claims, and he's like, that's not, according to what I'm seeing, that is false. So 
McMichael <laughs> leaves the CIA, travels to Nicaragua to investigate personally, and then uh, afterward he told reporters, quote, there is a point where exaggeration becomes impossible to distinguish from prevarication. If ever a major public policy of the United States has been justified on such flimsy grounds, such patently unprovable claims, I cannot recall it. So, I mean, since then, uh, we've had, a, we've probably surpassed that as far as uh, prevarications. And yeah, I, I had to look that up. Deviation from the truth. Uh, um, yeah. So shortly after McMichael's claims, Congress cut off American funding for the Contras, leading to the CIA's illegal efforts to fund the Contras through cocaine trafficking into the United States. And a little plug there, uh, if we I can ever get my shit together, we're going to be covering that whole story uh, in the near future. But basically, a lot of people in Congress were already trying to cut off funding to the Contras. Uh, Reagan was pushing for it because there was talk that, you know, the Sandinistas were communists and the Bolin Amendment got passed. Um, it was actually passed, uh, the first iteration of it was passed before Travis McMichael, but his claims uh, certainly helped to uh, strengthen it, which eventually led to the United States officially, anyway, uh, ceasing all funding to the Contras. Of course, our good friend Oliver North managed to find a way around that. We'll cover all that later. Where there's a will, where there's a will, there's a way. Yes. Uh, speaking of Taiwan, or as we were earlier, uh, the United States State Department's Taiwan website has been updated again reintroducing a statement in support of a one-China policy that it had removed recently. It also added that the U.S. does not support Taiwanese independence. So we covered that, I think, last week, where the State Department had um, removed a sentence about the one-China policy, <laughs> and then uh, people in China, the, the government, did not like that, and so the sentence is back. <laughs> <laughs> Someone got a nasty letter. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, and so, and it's hard to suss out that you know because there's been so much rhetoric uh, here in the United States and among Western countries working to demonize the Chinese government, and it's hard to suss it all out. And I think that they are doing it because China's become an economic threat to the United States? Uh, no, I mean, China's making those moves and building those islands in the South China Sea. I mean, they've made it very clear that they're playing a long game. If you, I mean, they've told us what they want, and they're making military moves in that direction. I mean, that it's pretty clear. You know, they're... I mean, like a, a cultural genocide. I mean, that's what's happening in Western China. I mean, there's been a long history of that. The Han Chinese, you know, going into an area and um, forcibly changing the culture. Um, they're doing it quite forcibly right now in Xinjiang. Is that what the Uyghurs? And, yeah, yeah. And, you know, they, they want those islands in the South China Sea, and we're making... You know, making islands, you know, those, and so, uh, military bases. Is, and, the, are, is their goal for getting that those islands military? Yeah, is, it, yeah. is that and like well, a defensive thing? No, well, they. I mean, it's theirs. So in their mind, it's defensive because the South China Sea should should be theirs. Uh, I can't remember if it's the seven dash line or the nine dash line. But uh, yeah, their little like passports have this like the the dashes that kind of carve out the South China Sea pretty much to the coast of the Philippines, and they're like all of this is ours. And there are two two uh, major reasons that that they would want it um, that are kind of economic. Is it is a major sea lane, 
so they could have control over if they have military control over it well that is better for their defense even to their mainland uh, but also it's you know something they could annoy other countries with deny access to those waters if they can claim them completely and uh, the the other aspect there there might be a lot of uh, natural gas there I mean not to mention the fish but you know natural gas reserves under there and if they can claim it all and block Vietnam out of it block Philippines out, um, then all right, they're going to claim that. So there's right. money now. Yeah, hydro. Okay, so I'm sold now. I <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean mainly I mean, I, not because I dislike you know Chinese people or Chinese culture, but you know as as an American, I'm not fond of their stances on uh, free speech and their you know, like attempts to control culture, um, which we're going to talk about here in a bit, but okay. I'm sold. Damn them. Well, I, I, they're not, they're not being sneaky. Yeah, that's true. You know, so, oh, there is another guy. They're not, they're come out and said what they want. And they've, they've made it very clear. And I mean, even Obama mentioned there, there may be some truth to some of their claims and, you know, and there may be to some of the, the, the Outer Islands, uh, history of fishing, um, you know, people there, uh, but at the same time, they, some of their claims are, are a bit dubious, right? <laughs> you know, is this where it's like, well, what's caused, like, I see occasionally there's some, a little, uh, uh, controversy over like globes and maps that are made that maybe a dotted line is in a place that the Chinese government doesn't like. Um, perhaps, but the big one is, uh, Taiwan, like, uh, like our schools, uh, we, we can't have maps up, um, with, uh, Taiwan on it. It has to be considered part of China or, you know, so that, that can be a thing. I mean, people get them in the country cause you know, you just kind of pack, you know, teacher might pack one in their bag and bring it, but you know, if the government specter people come by, they'll, they'll, they'll take it, they'll get rid of it. Like oh no no that that shows Taiwan we don't we don't want that here. And what is so, the you know, the has to the government mm -hmm. in Taiwan like? It's a democratic government. Uh, it was a it was a military government for a while, just like South Korea. Um, but yeah, it became democratic and uh, like the nineties. And um, yeah, they've got. Um, I'm pretty sure they do proportional representation, um, political parties. They've got the, you know, a couple of them, the old common turn and, uh, their political parties kind of split between those that want to get along with China and those that want to eventually declare independence. And I'm sure there's a political party that wants to eventually join China somehow or another, but, um, I don't think they're very popular. I think the big one is the, maintain the status quo let's just keep maintaining the status quo of there is one china and it's inseparable and taiwan is part of it and we have a government here and there's a government there and one of them is official it's just yet to be decided <laughs> something like that so for the you know how much would life change for the average person who lives in taiwan if the chinese government were to get what they want. Well, how's the life for the average person in Hong Kong changing? I think you've got your answer. Right. That's one of the things that, you know, and we're, that we're going to talk about here in a minute is the anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre that's coming up. Um, for that, <laughs> a little bit of, uh, this is a kind of a funny story. Uh, for the first, uh, this is in China. For the third time now, a player of a popular online video game has released classified military information on an online forum in order to win an argument. All, all three <laughs> times, the leaks have revolved around the tank simulator War Thunder. Uh, this time, a person leaked classified information on Chinese tank munitions. So, uh, if you check out the story at uh, kotaku.com which is a video game uh, website and they're pretty they're pretty fun the first the first leak happened 
in uh, July of 2021. Uh, the, okay, so I'll just quote the Kotaku art article. Quote, the July case involved a player getting into an argument on the game's forums about the in-game depiction of Britain's Challenger 2 main battle tank. To settle the disagreement, they posted what was essentially the tank's manual, which was an enormously stupid thing to do, especially given it meant the especially given it meant the UK's Ministry of Defense soon got involved. Uh, Then three months after that, uh, they there was a case of another player getting into an argument on the same forum over the same game about the depiction of Francis Leclerc main battle tank. Uh, Again, someone posted part of the tank's manual. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, you have to assume that these are, people in the military or maybe in the government with access <laughs> to these manuals and getting into an argument online and posting classified information. Well, here's a, here's the tanks <laughs> manual. I won the argument. Now I'm going to prison. <laughs> I do it again. And then, uh, so and then Kotaku says, In an attempt to get developers to change some in-game stats, a Chinese player posted an image on War Thunder's forums earlier this week showing classified military documents. Uh, It was a photo of some armament schematics for for a round fired by Chinese tanks with one of the actual parts sitting on top of the paper. So... I think I think I think you've just stumbled upon a new way to to do uh, intelligence. Oh well, that's <laughs> just like argue with people online on these things. Like, oh, I'll show you. I'll bet you Chinese munitions are weak as hell. I bet they can't even. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and but that yeah. also shows how far people will go to win an argument on the internet. Or in this case, it sounds like <laughs> this Chinese player was probably upset that they felt like the game didn't make the Chinese tanks as strong as they should be. That's my guess. And they're like, Oh, you don't, you never want to hurt Chinese feelings. They were like, you know, Oh, see, look, it's, it's really this strong. You need to bump up those stats. (laughs) So yeah. uh, Again, anybody who's listening, don't, Oh, I like this. This is the top quote uh, from a reader uh, in the uh, comments of the uh, of the article in Kotaku. They said uh, Jabberwock user Jabberwock wrote, "Quote: It is it is really so hard to understand why this happens. This is bigger than some military secrets or confidential information." This is bigger than restraints enforced by some local states or alliances. This is about who is right on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, you know, maybe like the bane of many governments, you know, like state security departments. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) So, yeah, that's pretty funny. The, and our last story today is not funny. So guard the guardian reporting arrests in Hong Kong as world marks Tiananmen square anniversary. So yeah, this weekend is the 33rd anniversary of the Tiananmen square protests and subsequent massacre of an unknown number of Chinese students in 1989 and so in Hong Kong, you know, which wasn't under Chinese control until, was it 2019? Uh, 2020? No, no, no. Uh, well, no, it went over. I think it was 94. Well, no, I'm talking about like, so my understanding, uh, Great Britain had control of Hong Kong until, yeah, 94 maybe. And then they ceded control and Hong Kong was kind of its own independent state until 2019 when they passed, you know, like Chinese written 
uh, security laws. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the um, yeah, and the big thing is, I think it was supposed to be twenty fifty before China takes complete control, but they pretty much done it. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, twenty forty seven, I think, is when the basic law of Hong Kong would could expire, um, according to the agreement. But yeah, they've kind of China's more or less reneged on that. It's like, no, 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 we, we don't like these people that are in office and we want to make sure our people are in Right, and there. my understanding of it was that they yeah. kind of bullied the Hong Kong government, uh, semi-autonomous government, into passing the, you know, like, basically uh, Chinese mainland level laws against dissent against the government. Yeah, and I think they can be extradited back to mainland China now, whereas before, you know, someone could publish something in, in Hong Kong and, you know, be not have to worry. But now, yeah, they could be arrested. It's like, ah, oh, what you publish is treason, and now we're going to take you to the right. mainland. And up until 2019, uh, it was a regular occurrence for people to gather to mark the anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre, which, of course, we've talked about before. In mainland China, it is completely forbidden to discuss it. And China has, you know, pushed this, you know, very, uh, the word's failing me, but they basically tell, you know, have pushed the story to their own people that nothing really big happened there. Maybe some people were killed, but they were terrorists. Uh, they were blocking right. traffic. We talked about that. They, yeah, the, the story, the story I heard. They were blocking traffic, and if they had just gotten out of the way, everything would have been okay. Right. So, but in Hong Kong, they have, you know, been open about it. In 2019, they there was a a monument on a university. Let me see. Oh yeah. So there was a commemorative, commemorative uh, statue at Hong Kong University that was taken down in 2021. And uh, so on Saturday, activists erected a new version of the statue and they've gathered in protest. A lot of them are being arrested. The government there shut down large parts of Victoria Park, which was used to be uh, packed with candlelight vigils up until, you know, China came in and took control of these things. So, yeah, we're seeing what people were warning everyone about back in 2019 when we had the Hong Kong protests and a lot of you know chinese sympathizers m made this claim they tried to uh, delegitimize the protests in hong kong saying that they were backed by the cia they were propped up by the west and my thought on that is so what you know i feel like you know there were definitely people in hong kong who didn't like this that you know there were from what i could tell anyway of course we we're in the west you can claim that we were fed propaganda but it it stands to reason a lot of people in hong kong were not looking forward to being under china's very strict uh rules about freedom of expression and uh, freedom of speech so to me that seems like a very legitimate reason to protest those laws and if i were in that position and the cia or whoever came in and said hey we're going to help you protest i would fucking take it you know <laughs> that's just me i don't know i'm not uh, hopefully i don't ruffle any feathers although maybe your feathers need to be ruffled i don't know <laughs> Oh, I just saw, like, right now in the news, the Chinese plane buzzed an Australian plane. Ooh, they're full of beans. Yeah, yeah. 
Those Chinese yeah, puns are full of beans. Uh, it's in the vicinity of the South China Sea. And the Australian P-8 was conducting routine surveillance uh, in international airspace. Oh, I'm sorry. This says it just came out, but it was last month that it happened. So it happened last month, and they're just now. Maybe on the, you know, they heard about uh, Canada's issues with that, and they're like, oh, yeah, that happened to us, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We can't blame Top Gun because Top Gun had not come out yet. But they might have seen. They the probably at least saw. I'm just. I'm just saying the timing can't be ignored. <laughs> they saw it, and I. You know, I understand if you know, like, say, you're a Chinese Air Force pilot, and you know, so you maybe you don't like Western Air Force pilots. Maybe you don't like American the American Air Force. But having said that, if you see a movie. That has you know fighter jets battling it out and uh, crazy uh, cinematic, uh, you know you, <laughs> you'll get excited and you know maybe get worked up. We're like, yeah, maybe they just maybe since the new one was coming out, the television in China started playing reruns of the first. Top Gun, and maybe that's what got him worked up. Ah, could yeah. be, yeah. Maybe Chinese Showtime. I don't know what their equivalent of Showtime, or maybe they have Showtime there, but they started running. You know the original Top Gun, <laughs> and they're like, "Yes, let's buzz those assholes." So, <laughs> yeah, who knows? No one, literally, no one knows. I'm going to say that, too, because I'm full of beans now. Now I'm full of beans. Uh, That's the note. I'm going to go ahead and uh, wrap things up on being full of beans. And I hope that the people around the world who are hungry, they get some beans or rice or grain or whatever they need. And (laughs) also, I wanted to put this out there. Um, You know... uh, We've mentioned this before that a lot of the news that we cover, most of it is bad. It's disheartening. We talk about, we said the word genocide like a thousand times this episode. We talk about famine and disease and war. We would like to start exploring some positive groups. So if you are involved in a direct action group, mutual aid, something, you know, some effort that is helping people directly, we'd like to hear about it. So let us know. And we want to have some people on the show to talk about it as well. Now, I'll say as far as having someone on the show, if you were to come on the show, we would prefer that you either be the the group's leader or their elected or designated spokesperson. So, you know, reach out to us or if, you know, you just work for a group, um, let us know that you think they're worth a mention because uh, we don't want to be so doom and gloom. And we know that there are people who are out there trying to help and we'd like to you know, use what little bit of a platform we have here to spread the news on that. So, yeah, let us know. You can hit us up, website, ciafiles.net, and I'm pretty sure you can leave us a voice message there if you'd like. You, uh, We're also on Twitter, at CIA Files Podcast, Instagram, at CIA Files, Facebook.com slash CIA Files, and uh, you can hit us up on the email, ciafilespodcast at gmail.com. And, yeah, let us know what you think. Um, uh, All right. Yeah. All right. Well, in the meantime, um, keep them bellies full and <laughs> have a good time when you can. All right. See you next week. I hear you. Yes, or talk to you.
something. <laughs>